Hey everyone, Jace here. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to tell you about a campaign for an awesome creator-owned book that's going on right now over at Zoop. Axewilder John is the story of a savage journey into the heart of a man driven mad by love, by hate, by power. As he is hounded by hordes of relentless enemies who will stop at nothing to reclaim what John has stolen. This is a real passion project for writer-artist Nick Patera as he's drawing inspiration from creators he loves, such as Frank Quietly, Jeff Darrow, and Mobius, among others. The book is also a deeply personal tale for Nick. He conceived a lot of the character and stories while his family was dealing with health challenges for his youngest daughter. Just like real life, the story is much more complicated than it might seem at first glance, and the axe-wielding barbarian at the heart of the story may be much, much more relatable than your average bloodthirsty warrior. The project's Already fully funded, so go join the campaign, and you're guaranteed to get this full-color, oversized, hardcover edition. Just visit zoop.gg to check it out. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. If you're watching us on YouTube, you'll know by all the awesome graphics that Rocky put together. We're here to talk about Death of the Justice League. I, I wore my classic uh, George Perez Justice League shirt uh, in, in honor of that. Uh, and uh, I should, you know, George is still with us. But uh, before we dive into Death of the Justice League, we we would be remiss if we didn't mention the, the passing of a, a titan in the industry. Uh, Mr. Neil Adams passed away. Uh, Friday, April 29th, after a short illness, he'd been sick for a couple of weeks with uh, an infection. And it, it's hard to overstate how much this man meant to the to the industry. He, he gets a lot of credit along with Denny O'Neill for bringing Batman kind of back. Uh, Batman would not be a billion dollar franchise and the most popular character, arguably in comics, if not for, for Neil Adams. That Adam West campy TV show, as fun as it is, really kind of turned Batman into a joke. And it was... Uh, the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams stuff that uh, with Neil Adams, his very dynamic uh, realism that he had in his art that really made it more serious and, and more adult. Uh, and whether comics are too adult now or not is a discussion for another day. I guess you could blame Neil for that. But be, uh, beyond uh, his contribution as an artist, this man was a champion for creator rights. Uh, the fact that there is an original art hobby now where you can co collect original art, that's because of Neil. Neil was the one that said, hey, these artists should be getting their original art back. Before that, it was thrown away or it was shredded or it was just given to people that came to do tours of the offices, whether Marvel, DC, what have you, uh, royalties, uh, profit sharing, all of this stuff. Uh, Neil, you know, that was the advantage he had of being such a, a popular artist, such a fantastic artist was that he could speak up for the little guy, you know, maybe somebody further down the, the totem pole says something and they, they'd be out of a job. Uh, DC would, would have been foolish Marvel as well to uh, not have Neil, drawing their book. So he, he had that freedom to be able to, to champion for creator rights. The fact that anytime Superman appears in a DC comic, it says, you know, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Again, that's all Neil. The man uh, could not see an injustice and not speak up, uh, not make sure that, that creators were being taken care of. So uh, I think that beyond or even more important than his contribution uh, artistically is his contribution to the comic industry as a whole in terms of always fighting for the creators, always trying to get a, a better deal for uh, the people that create these uh, amazing stories that we all love. So, yeah, very sad to, to hear of his passing, and uh, our condolences go out to his family. Uh, yeah, anything you want to add about uh, about Neil Adams there, Rocky? Yeah, he's a, he's a legend. You said it all. Uh, I just wanted to show off. Uh, I, I did get one thing. Uh, he always was very aggressive with his pricing at Comic-Cons, uh, Neil Adams, and uh, – Deservedly so. I'm uh, and uh, at the time I bit the bullet and I got uh, his sign. I got it signed. The, his the hardcover is Muhammad Ali uh, versus Superman. Uh, where he drew a nice sketch on the cover, and I'm so glad I got that. Now uh, it's uh, it, it's definitely one of the gems of my collection. I have the original as well, and I know that Neil Adams. I believe he said at one point that was I think that was one of his favorite. Uh, creative endeavors was the Superman versus Muhammad Ali. So I'm glad yeah, I got that. that. And uh, go ahead. That cover, that's kind of a, you know, um, 
a gatefold, not a gatefold, but a, a wraparound cover uh, yes. on the original uh, with all the guys in the audience. Yes. That piece of original art hangs in Neil Adams' office to this, <laughs> to this awesome. day. So, yeah, he, he kept that one. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I as, uh, too, as well, have, uh, some science, some sign Neil Adams, uh, things, uh, I have this DC poster book that has some of the most iconic covers, uh, from DC. And, uh, he signed a, a few things, obviously the, the, the famous cover of green, uh, two of them, the green lantern, green arrow, uh, the drug cover with speedy, uh, using drugs. And then the one with uh, green arrow shooting the lantern as green lantern is about to charge his ring. I have both of those big giant uh, like print size that are signed by Neil. So yeah. uh, with that being said, we'll go ahead and dive into death of the justice league. Uh, I guess we'll start before Rocky gives the recap of uh, just our, our quick thoughts. Uh, what was your impression, Rocky? Did you think it hit the mark? Well, I, for me, it did. I, I, I hope it does for, for new readers. It's, it was absolutely more action packed. It was less, it, it focused less on, uh, maybe explaining the full plot. And I like that because I've been reading Infinite Frontier and Justice League Incarnate. I didn't need a, a detailed recap. Uh, so I loved the adrenaline rush of it. This this felt visceral. This felt, it was fast paced. This was, there was no prep time. The, the Justice League were plucked from where they were and boom, suddenly, no prep time. Batman, no prep time. And suddenly you're fa- facing the Dark Army, the greatest army in the history of the DC multiverse. And they held their own, but uh, ultimately, of course, we know what happens. It's on the title, <laughs> but I really liked it. I enjoyed it, and I, I, I hope, I hope people pick this up. I hope other people did too. What, 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 what were your first impressions? Uh, I have mixed feelings. Um, as, <laughs> as a standalone, I, I agree with your sentiment. Right, action packed, a lot of fun. If you've been, you know, reading. Uh, Infinite Frontier and Justice League Incarnate. This made total sense, and and it was fantastic. Um, but on the other hand, not every you know people are going to pick this up just yeah. because they see that amazing cover, the acetate cover. So uh, you know you you open it up and uh, you see that Death of the Justice League clear, uh, and then it's got the the full uh, yeah there you go. It's got the full uh, scene behind them, and so yeah, there's people who are going to pick this up because they see Death of Justice League. Oh, what's going on? But this isn't, unfortunately, a comic where you can pick it up and just hit the ground running and, and kind of understand. You can try to just go with the flow and enjoy it, and I think that is possible uh, because it is an action-packed story. But um, yeah, I think editorially there are a little there there are some problems with it, and it's I, I don't want to say you know specific to this book, but DC in general right now, and I'll talk about that uh, after uh, after you give the recap. So yeah, I think if I just look at it on its own without thinking about any kind of outside you know, factors. Yeah, I, did. I, I enjoyed it. I thought the art was fantastic and uh, maybe didn't land as, as poignantly. These deaths didn't land as poign- poignantly, uh, maybe not quite done as, and I think it ties into my other critique, which I'll get into later. Uh, you know, it didn't land with the impact of the death of Barry Allen or Supergirl uh, in the first crisis uh, or even the death of Superman, which I think it's the, it's the, it's the 30th anniversary, right? Wasn't it 1992? Yeah, 30th anniversary uh, of the death of Superman. That's right. Uh, and we, yeah, in Superman 75, and now we have Justice League 75 with the death of uh, of the Justice League. So yeah, I mean, this death certainly, and again, it's 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 a lot of people, and they don't all die the same way. So, uh, but yeah, didn't I would have liked if it was a if it landed a little bit more. I mean, we'll get you'll see it when we get to it, but it's almost like oh, they're dead, like <laughs> almost anticlimactic in a way. I mean, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman all get killed in the same on the same page. They don't even warrant their own individual pages when they die. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so mixed feelings. But oh, overall, I'd probably give it like a seven and a half out of ten, maybe an eight. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, it's good. Well, uh, look uh, for those. Uh, I mean, for those who are living under DC rock and haven't been following this, uh, it, it can be summed up. R- rather succinctly that there's a great darkness that has existed f- uh, throughout uh, the multiverse all the, through the various crises and the great darkness has basically slowly ebbed ebbed and flowed and ultimately escaped and through the adventures of following death metal through the through the uh, what happened with uh, 
Infinite Frontier, with Death Metal, Infinite Frontier, and Justice League Carnate. The, the forces of Justice League Incarnate were unsuccessful in preventing the Great Darkness from escaping. And ultimately, the Great Darkness, led by Pariah, has essentially created a dark army. And uh, that's that's really all you need to know leading into this. And Pariah is an individual who lost his earth in the original crisis and he wants to bring his earth back and create peace to the multiverse. But he's gone insane and he thinks that he can create peace to the multiverse by controlling the great darkness and creating a dark army. And this issue is essentially the Justice League incarnate, President Superman, calling upon and, and plucking out of their various adventures on the first page, really, plucking Black Adam and Batman and Wonder Woman, etc., Zatanna, Martian Manhunter, Green Arrow, Aquaman, plucking them away from their adventures that they find themselves in to bring them to the Hall of Heroes where President Superman, Calvin Ellis, explains to them, look, this is what happened. The Great Darkness has escaped. We need to prepare. And boom, before they can prepare... I mean, you, you have, you have great dialogue. Joshua Williamson does a good job weaving dialogue, particularly probably the strongest point, probably in terms of character work is probably the character work and the dialogue between Black Canary and Green Arrow, which really plays itself out as Green Arrow ultimately is one of the first to uh, perish. Uh, this is a spoiler review after all. Surprise, surprise. They all die. It's on the title. So there you go. You've been warned. Uh, that the passing of Green Arrow, I think, maybe perhaps had the most emotional impact to the degree that there was emotion in this comic, and there was, and uh, Black Canary, uh, very powerful in her own right. Um, you know, Green Arrow taken out by Doomsday, <laughs> quite something. But anyways, they're at the Hall of Heroes, home of the Justice League incarnate, and and uh, there's again, it's a really great scene. You could you could tell something is up. I love the the double page spread initially of the Hall of Heroes. It reminds me of the classic Justice League Justice Society team ups with the with the with the circles and the bubbles with the with the various players on both sides. We got Justice League incarnate up top on the bottom and and Justice League members up top, and it just reminds me of the classic JLA JSA team up, which was you know harkens back to the earlier days of uh, the early days of the multiverse pre uh, original crisis. Uh, President Superman appears very, uh, very majestic. He, of course, President Superman, he's from Earth 23. Dr. Multiverse is there, a new character created by Joshua Williamson. She can actually peer into different incarnations and iterations of people in the multiverse. He explains to the league, look, this is, this is fairly serious stuff. We, we, we failed. We should have called you from the start. And Joshua Williamson is mindful of the fact, I think that it's clear in some of the dialogue here that uh, some of the criticisms we've had of, as readers is that they've, uh, they've played fast and loose with continuity, with future state. Uh, I do note that when they plucked, when all the heroes are plucked by the Hall of Heroes, you know, I mean... You know, the continuity is a little wonky. I mean, John Stewart's still on OA. Uh, Hawkgirl's in the, on the Totality Satellite. Superman is in costume on War World. This doesn't really add up. I'm not sure what Zatanna's doing not in Central City. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> the Superman one really got me. I was like, wait, he's just, he's in, in War World orbit, right? So the, to try to say, okay, he's not being plucked from the gladiatorial arena. But yeah, he's in his full yeah. costume. <laughs> And, yeah. and the gray hair, no gray hair. Like, what is going on, man? Yeah. Come on. Yeah, and and I think that uh, I think that um, I, I can play with that. I'm this uh, look. Joshua Williamson has so much on his plate that I, I'm 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 definitely prepared to cut him some slack on that because there is no way to synchronize DC continuity in the last year. It's simply not possible, even in. Uh, in fact, I would challenge Jeff, even Jeff Johns couldn't pull that one off. But uh, in any event, I, you know, they're at the Hall of Heroes here and President Superman has just finished giving his speech and, uh, you know, talking about Darkseid and, and what happened to Barry Allen and, and their, their, their failure in, in, in stopping the Great Darkness from escaping and having lost Barry Allen somewhere in the, in the, in the, in the multiverse. And, just be, before they can prepare, you know, uh, Calvin Ellis tells uh, Wonder Woman that the Spectre is dead. And Wonder Woman says something interesting, because uh, you and I have talked about this when we reviewed Wonder Woman. I, I've complained that Wonder Woman, I, I felt, as soon as she got back from death metal, she, she failed in her duty. She stopped looking for this lurking threat. 
Wonder Woman here says to to Calvin Ellis, President Superman, that the Spectre and I searched for that cost because she says that the hands that shaped the universe warned me that saving the multiverse would come with a cost. Because Wonder Woman, that that cost when Wonder Woman saved uh, saved the multiverse, or at the end of Death Metal when they lost to the to the Batman who laughs, they were saved by the cosmic gods because Wonder Woman refused to kill the. Uh, refused to essentially kill the cosmic gods to save the multiverse because it would it would result in a world in a multiverse controlled by the Batman who laughs. So she chose basically death. The cosmic gods couldn't believe Wonder Woman made that sacrifice. So they they saved us all. They saved the multiverse because of Wonder Woman's choice. And but the cost that that came was that this lurking great darkness was there. Wonder Woman makes reference to the fact that the Spectre and her searched for what that cost was, but instead they found hope. Very kind of corny dialogue, and the, the yeah. hope that they found really corny. The, the hope they found was was uh, John Kent. He was the hope, but they gave up looking for the cost. Is what really happened. But I like the way Joshua Williams here is trying to put lipstick on the pig of some of these gaffes in the past. So I actually like the dialogue here. I think Williamson's done a really good job with the dialogue, trying to weave together all these continuity gif gaffes and everything. So I was actually. Kind of impressed with that because there's only so much he could do. Um, the, uh, I mean, they're, they take them immediately to the battlefield. Dr. Multiverse uses their powers, moves the Justice League right to the battlefield to face the Great Darkness and the well, Dark they're, Army. They're, yeah, I mean, as they're talking on, on the, the, the Great Darkness, Darkness attacks. Um, right. So they don't, yeah, it seems like that, yeah, maybe we'll, they'll have a little more time to plan. You wonder, well, why did they immediately go to the battlefield? So, yeah, the, I mean, the great darkness probably senses that, uh, okay, Justice League Incarnate yeah. and Justice League members are together. Uh, I can't let them, you know, plan things out. I can't let, let them prepare. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, the, yeah, the House of Heroes gets breached by the great darkness and uh, President Superman, hey, we're out of time. So that that's it. They got to go. <laughs> so. yeah. I mean, it, it does make you wonder uh, why they didn't bother plucking the Justice. If they could, if they had the power to pluck the Justice League out from wherever they were, why didn't they do that in the first place when when Justice League Incarnate was trying to stop the Great Darkness from escaping? Yeah. But you know, again, that's you got to sort of suspend your common sense, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in any event, so they end up facing Pariah. And Pariah's there. Superman almost reaches Pariah because Pariah wants to bring back his world uh, and in and, and his own twisted way, thinking that he, he can utilize evil and great darkness to achieve peace and bring back his own world that was destroyed in the original crisis in Infinite Earths back in 1985. And uh, in any event, he believes that the great darkness has shown him the way. And there is the dark army looks amazing. I, unfortunately, on on YouTube here, the the program I'm using, I can't we can't do it justice because I want you guys to go out and actually buy the comic. The uh, the it's a, gr a fantastic double age uh, double uh, double page spread here. Uh, uh, Sandoval on the art has done a, does a great job. Uh, Tarragona on the colors and, and Herms. I mean, it's the. I really enjoyed the art. I thought the art was 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 amazing. I mean, I I enjoyed it, and I I'm, I'm I hope that people are you know appreciate it. The double page spreads are great. There's a fantastic spread with the Justice League attacking the Dark Army. The double page spread is fantastic. I even used it for some of the thumbnails I did for those watching on YouTube because <laughs> it's just made for a perfect thumbnail. It's just I, I love it. I, I love playing with the thumbnail. I love good art. I love great art. When a comic book, when I can do a, when I can play with the thumbnails, I had a great time. I love the tactics and the strategy used. I thought Williamson did a, done a really good job here, showing the different phases of the battle, who was fighting who, who broke off and fought each other. Uh, Batman and and uh, and John Stewart fighting Necron, and then we have uh, we have uh, Avery fighting uh, Neuron, and we've got Eclipso fighting. Uh, uh, I guess. Aqu or I guess uh, one of the uh, Earth Eight, uh, Earth Eight, uh, the Thunderer, Thunderer Doomsday, yeah. yeah, Doomsday versus Aquaman, Superman, of course, versus uh, Darkseid, Wonder Woman versus Ares, and as they're as they're battling their their opponents, they they soon realize that these opponents are not bringing their A game. Darkseid is is not fighting like Darkseid. Ares is not fighting like Ares. Their fighting styles are different. It's clear that they're they're not quite as strong. 
they're they're not themselves. They're they're either they're they're not themselves, and they're not necessarily fighting with the same tactics as they used to. So it's it becomes clear that that Pariah is controlling them through his use of the dark, the great darkness. And uh, there was there's a pivotal scene where where Darkseid manages to escape the mental control of Pariah. And uh, he he warns Black Adam, says the war is already over, Black Adam. The Justice League cannot win. Your only chance of survival is to. But before he can say anything, the Great Darkness snaps his mouth shut and takes control of him again. So it is clear that Darkseid actually is doing this against his will. We know that already. This isn't a surprise for those of us who have read Infinite Frontier and Justice League Incarnate. We know that Darkseid was subsumed by the Great Darkness. Darkseid made a huge mistake. He greatly underestimated the power of the Great Darkness. He went into the Great Darkness thinking that he could, that he was the end-all and be-all because Darkseid is. Well, Darkseid is not as powerful as the Great Darkness, and that was made very clear. And in any event... uh, that's that's a revelation in and of itself that the great that this dark army as powerful as it is is not itself and so within that uh lies potential for the future that they they probably these this great dark army probably resents being controlled by pariah which will come back to haunt pariah during dark crisis i would imagine uh bringing on uh john stewart embodies the god storm which uh, of course uh jeffrey thorne in the pages of green lantern uh act- allowed John Stewart, had John Stewart become almost like a god who accessed the power of the source and, and, and the god storm. And, and one thing that was, was quite, I thought was quite kind of cool here, the fanboy in me was cool, the quintessence was brought back to life. Uh, the quintessence we thought was killed by Darkseid, but here we find the quintessence, the quintessence being brought back to life. No explanation as to how they come back to life, but of course... The only explanation I'm thinking is Necron with Blackest Night. He can raise the dead. And so I didn't know that they could raise the, the a god, but they did. So the, these so-called, these dead members of the Quintessence, uh, the Guardian, the, the the Wizard, Phantom Stranger, Hera, um, you know, they're, they've all been resurrected. Uh, again, some continuity glitches there. We Hera, I don't know how Hera can be dead and now alive when she was alive in the pages of Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl. It's all kinds of things that aren't really making sense there. But again, continuity glitches are just sort of everywhere here. But you can kind of buy into the continuity glitches if you accept the fact that the omniverse or the multiverse is in flux and maybe some wonkiness is going on. You got you, you to gotta just sort of buy into some of this wonkiness. Um, the specter is corrupted and the specter, uh, we find out, essentially takes out John Stewart, so it's this, the darkness of the Spectre versus uh, the Godstorm. There's some issues there. I'm not sure how. I'm not sure you, you might be able to. I don't know how you resurrect a spirit of vengeance with darkness, because I always associated the Spectre as having sort of like the power of of literally God, like the God, like because uh, I always associated him with a Judeo-Christian sort of origin in the DC universe. Uh, but you know, again, it's it's wonky, but you, you kind of go with it, kind of. Because the only one that could defeat God, a God storm, you, you got to figure it's got to be Spectre. So I like what Williamson is doing here. It's pretty cool. You got these massive godlike battles between the God storm and the Spectre, interspersed with these battles with, that are far more smaller but more just as significant with Green Arrow and Black Canary, uh, you know, fighting w- way above their their abilities, fighting uh, Doomsday and. Uh, Green Arrow does win the day. Green Arrow ultimately does slow down Pariah from activating the machine that would fully pull in the great darkness to this reality and 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 destroy the multiverse and reshape it in whatever image he wants. And unfortunately, that uh, leads comes through the first sacrifice, and it's it's a great scene, beautifully drawn. Doomsday. I mean, I, I can't imagine how there's any body part left of Green Arrow after being hit that hard by Doomsday. But, but there's enough. There's enough for uh, uh, Black Canary to, to hold in her arms as as he essentially dies. And um, there is that's followed by a scene where the Trinity and and this is what I think is so appropriate. And this is what I think Joshua Williamson I thought did a really good job of. 
He had the Trinity, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, confronting Pariah, uh, which is frankly the way it should be. The three icons of the DC universe, you know, it's down to them to stop Pariah. But Pariah basically says, you know, you're too late. He essentially confirms what Darkseid said uh, to Black Adam at one point, saying, you know, you're too late. And not only is it too late, but Pariah then shoots some kind of energy at the Trinity, and it 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 basically seems to it has the same impact on them as the death of Barry Allen in the original Crisis, and that's what I find very very interesting. And I note that we thought Barry Allen had died in the original Crisis, but he came back in Final Crisis. And the the way that I'm not sure how Batman. Superman and Wonder Woman die here, but they seem to be sort of like slowly vaporized to their skulls and bones, just like Barry Allen was. And for those wondering what Barry Allen's death looked like in uh, the original Crisis, I have it up here on the screen. He died essentially in many ways the same way with his body basically being vaporized very similarly. And I'm wondering if there is a connection there. Because just as, as Barry Allen died in that way, I wonder if there's a connection. Because Barry Allen died, but ultimately came back. And Barry Allen's resurrection was never properly explained in Final Crisis. He just sort of seemed to come back. He, and I'm not, I never really understood why. But in any event, I thought that, I thought, I really like, there's, there's some mystery here. Because, you know, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman here, the, way, the manner in which they die here... You might, some people, I've heard some people complain that, well, it was kind of insignificant. They just sort of like slowly evaporated away. But I think there's going to be some significance there. And uh, Pariah then wipes out the rest of the of the Justice League and the Justice League incarnate. And and then in a final, in one of my, my favorite scenes was Black Adam. I loved how Williamson has take, capitalized on Black Adam here. Black Adam hit, try, goes to hit Pariah. Pariah is going to essentially vaporize Black Adam as he has the rest of the league. But he, he yells Shazam at just the right moment. And for some, for some reason, that, that lightning bolt of Shazam, that wizard's power, you know, sends, it saves Black Adam's life and it ultimately pushes Pariah away and it sends Black Adam back to the Hall of Justice where uh, there is Wally West, John Kenton, I guess the, essentially the legacy characters, Naomi, etc., who Black Adam shows up and, and, and tells him on the final page that they're all dead, the Justice League are dead. And of course, this will be continued in Justice League number one. And I'm like, I'm a guy, I'm old school. I love a good crisis. And I love, I, I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed this. I, I would have liked maybe a little bit could I have had more story? Maybe, but I, I, I really don't need, how much more do I really need to know at this point? I, I know, I know what's at stake. I, I'm more than prepared to wait for Dark Crisis. This was riveting to me. It was action-packed. Williamson very intentionally did not want to explain it. He wanted this to be action-packed. He wanted to show that this was quick and real. And this is like, this reminded me of the death of Superman insofar as the death of Superman in issue 75 of Superman back in the day in 92, that was an abrupt, even though it took place over many issues, the death of Superman felt sudden in the one issue it took place in. It was action-packed and suddenly Superman was gone. And that's what happened here. I got the same sort of vibe here. I'm not going to say this is a significant and everything else because we're in a different time and place and age in comic books. So we, we've seen death before and we know that this isn't the true end of the Justice League. But I, getting behind this story, I enjoyed it. And... I'm looking forward to where it takes us, but uh, what do you think? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought up that the death of Superman because that's a great way to, to compare it, right? The impact. I agree with you. Uh, if you read 75, Superman 75, the death issue, there's not a lot of story there. It is a big fight between Superman and Doomsday. It's the culmination of a storyline that did take several months to build up to with this, you know, this creature. We didn't know who he was at the time, you know escaping from this underground bunker and making his way toward Metropolis. And it was very mysterious when he first showed up and whatnot, little cameos, but that was the whole point, right? Like little cameos. And then the next issue, you see a little more of him and then a little more and a little more to the point where, you know, the, 
kind of burlap or whatever he was wrapped in and, and chains and coils kind of faded away and we got this amazing monster of doomsday but it was that slow burn of buildup you know you gotta i think he's only in like one two panels in the very first cameo and then you see he takes up more and more real estate in each subsequent comic as it builds up so once you get to 75 you don't really need story because it has been building up let's go back to the original crisis on infinite earth for two years, for two years, they were building up and giving us little cameos of this guy named the Monitor. And, and at first, we just saw him in shadow. Uh, and Harbinger was his um, his kind of messenger that was going out. And again, as it, we got closer to 1985, you got more and more context for this guy, the Monitor. And it felt like it was building to something big. Obviously, those were two really big things, and it affected the, the DC Universe completely both times. That for me is what's missing here. Yeah, Rocky and I have been, you know, reading Death Metal. You know, we read Death Metal. You know, we can argue or we can talk about how successful that was. You know, the 5G stuff and Dan Didio leaving his plans really threw everybody for a loop and a lot of stuff got shuffled around. But we read it and then we read Infinite Frontier Zero and then we read the Infinite Frontier Mini and then we read Justice League Incarnate. And so it's all building up to this. If you read those, I don't think those were like giant gangbuster sellers. I certainly didn't see a lot of people talking online about it. And it, the, the, and we've talked about it before. I've specifically talked about it before, how in the rest of the DC multiverse, we don't really see the events of Infinite Frontier or Justice League Incarnate being referenced or talked about. And so even though this feels super impactful and super important, and yes, the Justice League is dead, it makes me wonder – at the end of the day, how important is, is Dark Crisis really going to be? How important is Joshua Williamson's event going to be, right? Like we just saw trial the Trial of the Amazon event, which is to me going to have little consequence. It didn't even really feel like an event at the end of the day. So I, I expect Dark Crisis will feel more like an event. But again, it goes back to what Rocky was saying about it, this is a different time in comics and you got to keep the trains running. You know, you got to keep the machine moving. You got to keep the... Uh, which makes no sense at all. You got to keep the revenue stream going really <laughs> from comics, right? When you're making a billion dollars from these movies, I know the Batman didn't make a billion dollars, but it made hundreds of millions of dollars. Can't you just let the people that make the comic books tell the stories they want and think of it as a lost leader? Even if the comic book division doesn't make money, it's okay because it's just think of it as an IP farm as much as I hate that idea, but I don't know how else to put the genie back in the bottle in terms of, give these creators the freedom to tell the stories they want to tell rather than say, no, we can't have dark crisis affect the Batman book. That's got to come out monthly. We got to get detective comics monthly. We got to have this Batman miniseries and that Batman miniseries and that Batman special, whatever. Cause at the end of the day, DC, it's all Batman, right? That's, that's paying the bills. So that, that to me is what's missing a little bit of the, the consequence. Like how important is this going to be if nobody else is in the DC universe itself is talking about it. And I do agree that Joshua Williamson did the best job he could in terms of, Okay, what's going on with Superman? What's going on with um, John Stewart? I'm going to do the best best I can. I mean, there are no dates here or anything, or this follows that sort of continuity. So yeah, there, there's a little bit of of wonkiness. But again, like I was saying at the beginning, if you read this just as a standalone, you know, and you haven't read anything, it'd be a little hard to understand. But it's enjoyable if you've been reading everything, uh, like Rocky and I have, and you can sort of separate it. Then yeah, this is a fantastic issue with uh, really great art. Uh, I'm a, I, I love Priya as a character. So much like Corona, which this is, seems to be a thing in the DC universe, and I don't know why it is, but it's this idea of being punished for, for hubris or being punished for the pursuit of knowledge. Like Corona tried to see the, the Big Bang, right? And yeah. that's where, where his, what his big crime was. Pariah was the same thing. He tried to see the beginning of the multiverse and was punished for it. And so when his world died, his name originally wasn't Pariah. I mean, Pariah, if you don't know what that word means, it means an outcast, somebody who's shunned by society. So he he was the one that that tried to see, see the beginning of the multiverse, which I will give credit to Scott Snyder for what he did in his Justice League run in terms of the World Forger and the Monitor and the Anti-Monitor and um, – you know, the mother of the multiverse and whatnot and how he tied all that stuff together and Joshua Williamson's building on that. So Pariah tried to, to witness that, you know, mortals are not supposed to witness that as his punishment. Uh, he was granted immortality. And in the original crisis, he, he jumped from world to world to world as the antimatter was consuming it. And his, his punishment was to witness 
this horrific trauma and these worlds dying over and over and over and over. And he showed up in various crises uh, between now and then, not a lot. Joshua Wimson is certainly using him more than ever, but you can understand how this, this character who was very sympathetic in the first crisis and helped the heroes and try to do whatever he could, could be driven mad, could be driven to the point where he's willing to do anything to end his life and end his suffering, right? Even make a deal with the great darkness to say, I'll, I'll help you destroy the multiverse and have it be reborn in whatever uh, sort of uh, form the great darkness wants to have it in. Cause at least I won't be there to have to witness, you know, worlds die over and over and over. So I love that, that pariah is, is coming back. He, to me, he's, he's, he's a very underused character. And in a way I'm glad he hasn't been used a lot because it leaves him open for Joshua Wimson to do uh, a lot of really cool things here. So if you're not familiar with who pariah is, that's kind of a, a quick and dirty rundown. And I love how powerful he's become because he has the power of the great darkness. I mean, those scenes where black Adam is punching him with everything he has. And prize just like, doesn't even feel it. He doesn't even flinch. Uh, it's just, it's just awesome. Uh, as far as the way the Trinity uh, disintegrate. Yeah. I thought the same thing when I saw it, Rocky, uh, that's exactly how Barry Allen went out. Um, and he was running against, if you don't know spoilers for crisis, which is what almost 40, no, 30, it'd be 30, <laughs> 85. How long is that? Can't even count. Almost 40 years, <laughs> 37 years. Uh, yeah, he's running against the flow of the antimatter cannon uh, to, to destroy it. And so it was, it was literally antimatter that disintegrated him. So I'm assuming it's the same thing. It looks the same. So you wonder, okay, well, how did he come back? You're right. It never was really explained well. But if you think, okay, somebody was disintegrated by antimatter, isn't there, I mean, matter can neither be created nor destroyed. So isn't there matter just kind of floating out there and maybe it'll be reassembled with enough power or knowledge or, I mean, that, that's how I, I uh, think about it in my head anyway. Uh, yeah. Another thing I wanted to point out, I feel like Green Arrow sometimes doesn't get his due uh, in terms of when we think about like guys who never miss, right? Bullseye obviously comes to mind, Hawkeye over at Marvel, Green Arrow's right up there, man. And he doesn't like people think of him as like the social justice warrior and kind of a loud mouth and, and a rich guy or whatever, but he doesn't get, get enough credit for being this amazing archer, this amazing marksman uh, who hits his targets almost every time. And so I thought it was a fantastic scene the way uh, Rafa Sandoval set it up where he can see people trying to stop the arrow, but no, man, he timed it out just perfectly and it hits the machine and explodes and, you know, kind of similar to Galactus. Uh, think back yeah. to the other very first giant uh, crossover in comics history, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars, where Galactus was building this machine to eat the planet that uh, the Beyonder had created. And then the, the heroes destroy the machine and they think they've won. And Galactus is like, well, the machine makes it easier, but it doesn't stop me from consuming the planet. Same thing here, right? Probably is like, yeah, this machine would have made it easier for me to do whatever it is I need to do for the uh, the great darkness to destroy the multiverse. But I can still fix it. I can still dis destroy the multiverse. So it wasn't that Green uh, Green Arrow's sacrifice was in vain because um, he didn't know, but still it, it made for a very uh, impactful death. And you're right. I'm surprised there was that much of him left after Doomsday smashed him for uh, – I mean his skull does look a little a little jacked up there. So, yeah, I yeah. mean it's, a, it, it's, it's DC. You can't get too, too bloody or too uh, visceral, but – yeah, it was pretty brutal. So all in all, yeah, I mean, fantastic ending. Uh, I was kind of curious. We do get a glimpse at the the Hall of Justice at the end going, going hey, what, nobody's answering their comms. And we see Flash there. We see Naomi. We see Detective Chimp. We see Firestorm. I can't remember the last time I saw Firestorm, and I don't even know who's part of the Firestorm Matrix currently. <laughs> but I thought that was I thought that was interesting. And then John Kent shows up. Where's my dad? And then we get uh, Black Adam crashing in saying the justice league are dead. So yeah, I mean, impactful. Yes. Um, that's almost more impactful than the, than the actual deaths. Uh, green arrow does get the kind of the hero's death. The other ones, not, not to say they weren't fighting like heroes, but again, I just, I mean, all three of them on one page in a way was sort of anticlimactic. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think we gave the, read the uh, credits officially. So I will say writer Joshua Williamson pencils by Rafa Sandoval inks by Jordy Tarragona. And I'll talk about the inks in a second colors by Matt Herms, which I think Rocky mentioned very, very primary, very bright colors, especially for the explosions and like the lightning with um, 
with Black Adam. I thought that was all really, really done well. Uh, letters are by Josh Reed. As far as the inks go, Jordi Tarragona, there are times where the inks get a little – there's a little ink spatter. There's a little more sort of cross-hatching. Uh, it just the – inking, the inks get a little more uh, messy in the backgrounds uh, when they're on that world where they battle. And I, I think it's obviously – uh, done purposefully, and I think the effect of it works very, very well. You know, like when they first get there, Aquaman asks, "He's like, my gods, what is this place?" And uh, Doctor Multiverse says, "Ruins of a dead multiverse." To me, that that is why that world looks the way that it looks. Why the uh, the inks by Terragona look the way they look. Uh, this is a world that's already been consumed by by the multiverse. It's it's dead. There are a lot of shadows, and obviously the dark armies there as well. So. I would expect it to look a little, um, a little scritchy, you know, a little, uh, uh, a little bit of ink splatter here and there. And I, I've talked about it a lot, especially when, uh, uh, in terms of Batgirls, how I don't care for it because it makes it overly dark. But again, this is yeah. a world that's been killed by the dark multiverse, so I expect it to look dark. So uh, you can really, yeah, exactly, very appropriate. You can see it um, if you put up the page, Rocky, where uh, Dark Side swings Superman uh, around and smashes him into the ground. The panel right below that uh, on either side where he's staring at the camera and it says new God. Um, you can see the, um, the ink spatter. Uh, yeah. That page right there. So you can see the ink spatter in the, in the background on kind of the yeah. extremes of that panel. Um, and, and that's present throughout. You might not always. Oh, yeah. notice it's, every, it. it's almost every page. It's there's ink yeah. splatter during the battle, and I think it 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 conveys there's it almost conveys the uh, it the idea of blood because it, it looks like blood spatter. Like even though it's not always blood, but the fact that it's black and it almost looks like blood spatter, I think it adds to the effect a little bit because it's it's messy in a very visceral kind of way, and it makes you feel that there's more at stake and that this is an ugly, dirty fight with consequences. So it it really does work. Yeah, and the other thing that it, it conveys, like if you go to the next page, um, where uh, yeah, where the the scene you described, where uh, Darkseid kind of breaks free of the control of the Great Darkness, but then uh, the Great Darkness reasserts control. That darkness is all around them, you know. So that's a lot of what the the, the splatter is as well, you know. Like you can see it in the, the those three panels where Darkseid is is free, and then his mouth clamps shut, and then he fires off his his Omega beams. So yeah, I I, I, I would be remiss to not call out Jer, uh, Jordy Tarragona's work because uh, it, it works really really well. And yeah, this does get me excited for for Dark Crisis. We'll see how it all plays out. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Good. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I don't know when is Dark Crisis. Is that in June? Or, or uh, it's believe, free comic book day, isn't it? Don't we get a, a tease in free comic? Yeah, book we day? get a. I think we get a, a zero issue on free comic book day. Uh, let me look it up right now. Um, yeah, haven't gotten the um, haven't gotten the preview copy of it yet. Um, yeah, April twenty sixth is Justice League seventy five, and then Dark Crisis. Um, yeah, in June, DC is going to launch Dark Crisis Justice League, or Dark, I'm sorry, Dark Crisis Young Justice, six issue limited, it takes place concurrent with the events of Dark Crisis. Flash has a three issue arc. Uh, in July, there's a one shot Dark Crisis Worlds Without a Justice League, Superman number one. Uh, and that's sort of all we know at this point. Yeah. So, uh, um, well, I guess one of the questions I have is because. It's a little bit disjointed because right now the feel, I mean, Wonder Woman's still around and I mean, you and I, we get, we do get some early access to, we know in the next few weeks while well, we're reading Wonder Woman and Superman and Batman, they're still around and yet they've died in this issue, but yeah. they're still having adventures in their own comics. So for those that are reading more than one DC comic, if you're confused, I think that the answer is that this death of the Justice League, the scenes in this, the this, these events, I, I believe, take place probably continuity-wise, like two or three months from now, or, or or later in time. Is that is I guess is the only way that it could possibly <laughs> be justified given the yeah. continuity? Or have you put got some thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it goes back to what I was saying before. You got to keep the trains running. You know, keep the revenue coming in. So, you know, back in the day in crisis. Uh, 
the big one, those the, the series stopped. Like action comics stopped. Superman stopped. Right? Um, didn't have those titles anymore. So, yeah, I got to think that they they didn't have somebody to go on Justice League. They, yeah, it's seventy five. It's thirty years since the death of Superman that happened in Superman seventy five. We want it to happen in seventy five. Is it a couple months early? Yeah, it probably is. Because again, it's not until Free Comic Book Day, like you mentioned, that we get the the, the first chapter, Dark Crisis Zero, uh, and then Dark Crisis One is June seventh, and then Dark Crisis Two is July fifth. So, yeah, we have a few months. What I what I would hope is that by the time, and it does seem this way, at least to me, um, that the uh, the story in Action Comics that Philip Kenny Johnson's been telling. Feels like it could be over by then. Feels like we're getting pretty close to the end. So I would hope by the time we get uh, Dark Crisis coming out that, yeah, there is no there is no uh, Superman. Because, yeah, that just – it's going to focus so much. I mean, Joshua Williamson, when he, last time I had him on the show about a month ago, he was talking about how a lot of what Dark Crisis is, it focuses on the next generation. You know, like the, the Teen Titans, Nightwing, um, Wally West, Donna Troy, those kind of characters, John Kent – and their their struggle to think about can we do this? Can we save the multiverse? We've saved the multiverse before, but we always had Superman and Diana and Bruce here to help us. You know, are, are we good enough? Can can we do this? It's going to feel weird for them to be feel that kind of self doubt and worry about the, the Trinity being gone if the Trinity are still showing up in their own books. You know, like I get. Yeah, you fit it. You slot it in wherever. I mean, go back to um, Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars. That that happened between the end of one issue and the next, but it took a year in real time. But they just had uh, the heroes disappear at the end of one issue, and at the beginning of the next issue, they were back. Like Amazing Spider-Man disappears at the end of what I think it's two fifty-one, and then he's back at two fifty-two with a new costume. So uh, I prefer that they don't do that. I prefer that if the main books, you know, at least acknowledge the fact that there's a dark crisis going on and the Justice League has been killed, um, because yeah, they're they're gone. I mean, it's not, and it's not just the Trinity. It's John Stewart. It's Martian Manhunter. It's Hawkwoman. It's Zatanna. Um, like, this isn't just, you know, just the, the the characters that you would expect. And and like you said, the Justice League incarnate as well. There's this, yeah. the scene where we see Captain Carrot and President Superman and um, Avery, the Flash of the Multiverse, and Doctor Multiverse and Mary Marvel. They all disintegrate in the same way, um, yeah. and they don't even get a double page splat, a splash. So I guess you know they should talk to their, <laughs> they should talk to their agent about that. But uh, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I would hope, and this is what I what I was kind of getting at earlier, where I, you, you kind of need to acknowledge that these things are happening to make it feel like it has consequences. Otherwise, it feels like, well, it's just a story. Who, who cares? It's not going to have any lasting impact or whatnot. So I am really curious about how the uh, the Great Darkness can be defeated, though. And it makes sense that Darkseid would be the one that would know. I mean, the first time that the Great Darkness appeared in publication history is back in Legion of Superheroes, Great Darkness Saga, yeah, early 280s of uh, Legion of Superheroes. And that had everything to do with uh, with Darkseid worshiping the Great Darkness and whatnot as well. So, your only chance of survival is to blank. We don't know the answer. Dark yeah, it, and it seems to me that if the Great Darkness has always been around, I don't know how you defeat it either. And I'm, I'm not even sure if you want to defeat the darkness. I mean, I, I would. I, I always have this idea of of balance like don't you you know you always got to balance the dark and the light and and maybe i'm you know and and there is a connection to swamp thing and i know in the pages of swamp thing i've been sort of you know reading back issues of alan moore because uh ram v his great writing on swamp thing got me into reading some back issues of swamp thing and uh the that 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 balance between darkness and light of is is inherent and is is within the story of swamp thing and uh, also it's in our pop culture too. And, you know, even with Star Wars about achieving balance. And I'm wondering, do we really want to get rid of the great darkness? Don't you need a little bit of that to provide some balance? And, and if so, how do you maintain that balance uh, with, with, without uh, and minimize the, the, the possibility that more people like Pariah are going to come and upset that balance. And so th there is a story here to be told. I I'm not sure 
You know, again, in Joshua, we have to trust. In Joshua Williamson, uh, he's obviously, he's he's the one steer, steer handling this. I'm curious to see, I'm really curious to see how the legacy characters step up. You know, there's a lot of talk about the legacy characters. It's been, let's face it, it's been a little controversial as well in certain comic book circles about, you know, the extent to which legacy characters ought to be given attention and whether or not they're good enough or, or deserve the attention that they're getting, et cetera, et cetera. This is going to be a pretty big thing, you know. I'm really curious to see how, you know, Superboy and uh, with the Wally West and uh, and Naomi and, and all these and, the, and these younger characters, which are, of course, going to be, I understand from teaser solicits that they're going to be led by Nightwing. It's going to be really interesting to see how they step up to the plate. And I'm actually excited to see that. I'm excited to see that because they're getting some really hardcore attention now because they're the only ones we can focus on because the A-listers are dead. So I'm actually curious. Uh, I know that Williamson loves the A-listers, uh, but he killed off all the Justice League. And in, in Williamson, I trust. And he, he's come a long way from someone who I wasn't a huge fan of on his Flash run to someone. He's built my trust. I, I trust him. Uh, he did a good job with Infinite Frontier. He's, he's built on this story through Justice League Incarnate. The, I'm more. I'm. In, I'm just as interested in the multiverse now uh, than I than I've ever been, and and I was fairly cynical coming out of Death Metal. But as a longtime DC reader, I enjoy what Williamson is doing. I care what's going on and what he's doing with Deathstroke in establishing trust. And Deathstroke is preparing for the Great Darkness. Deathstroke did not die here. Uh, in the pages of Robin, uh, uh, what he's doing with Shadow War. There are other things happening in the background here that are really building toward this. And there are other forces in the DC universe that are aware of what's going on with the Great Darkness. And... They're not all dead. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how all these pieces come into play. And hey, man, it's it has all the hallmarks in my mind of a great story. And I think Williamson's done a good job so far, weaving a lot of moving parts. And we have one advantage. Uh, all the continuity complaining that I've been doing, and uh, maybe I've been more vocal than most, but the fact of the matter is, is that when Williamson's left to his own story, that's minimized because he's in control of all the parts and uh, I have faith in him and I'm, you know, I, I choose to be optimistic moving forward. So I'm excited for this, uh, you know, bring on another crisis. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I would agree as long as, again, it's going to have consequences. It's going to have lasting impact. I mean, there are things <laughs> and I've just been selfish, you know, that I would like to see changed. I would like Alfred to come back, for example. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's so much wonkiness, and it has a lot to do with books being late and not on schedule and just no cohesive vision, right? I mean, even when Dan was Dan Didio was there, his the way he wanted things to go was different than the way like the Jeff Johns camp wanted things to go, right? They weren't always on the same page. So we need one clear uh, focused vision and and for it to move forward. And then I think it, it will work. Um, and while I appreciate the scope of what Scott Snyder did with introducing the dark multiverse and then the omniverse. And I love the analogy that Scott always talks about, you know, think about the DC multiverse as this fishbowl, like a goldfish bowl. We've taken that goldfish bowl and we've dumped it into the ocean. And now with the omniverse, that's how much bigger it is. I kind of think that's too big. And there's, there's such a thing as, as having too much creative freedom. I mean, you do need to have some structure. If anything, I would, and you, you can't ever go back and put that exact same water back in that goldfish bowl. But I would prefer the DC go back to having a goldfish bowl of a multiverse. And in my understanding, the way that would need to work in continuity would be let's fix the crack in the source wall, right? So if I could uh, if I could finish that sentence for that Darkseid was saying, the only chance to survive is get the great darkness on the other side of the source wall and, and seal the breach in the source wall, return the DC multiverse, you know, kind of reestablish the fact that it's separate from the, the omniverse. That's what I would like to see happen. Yeah. Uh, whether it does or not, obviously, I, I have no control over that. But um, yeah, well, even that's wonky. Yeah, it would. Yes, but, you're right. It's wonky, and it's again, it's that okay. We dump the goldfish bowl water into the ocean, and now we're going to take that same goldfish bowl and we're going to scoop water out of the ocean. It's it, you could never have it be the exact same water, right? Yeah. But at least. You know, it would be contaminated by whatever it's mixed in, whatever. But at least you could say, okay, the dark multi multiverse can go be over there on its own and not interact and screw things up for the regular 
DC universe or DC multiverse until a writer decides to undo it in some way or whatever. But I don't know. Things are, I mean, ever since Scott did that, it just, I feel like continuity is, is harder to wrap your head around. Everything is just messier now. And I get it. They want everything to count. And, but I, you know, I do like things being interconnected. I like things that make sense. And yeah, like how many well, times did you see while you were reviewing this? Well, it's kind of wonky. You just got to go with it. Yeah. I just think there's always a danger, as fun as it might be for individual writers to play with all the grains of sand in the sandbox. I, I almost, there's a disadvantage to that because if you play with all the grains in the sandbox, well then they've already been played with and it takes away from, you know, if you, why play with all of them? Just tell good stories with some of them, you know? So even now, like, I mean, how do you, how do you top? I mean, they're always topping each other, right? How do you top fighting every single major dark creature in the, in the multiverse like you have with the death of the Justice League here? I mean, how do you top that? I mean, how do you, I mean, when you play with all the players and with all the multiversal players, uh, I mean, I suppose I should be, should I be glad that we actually don't have the monitor and anti-monitor here? Where, where are they? But <laughs> in any event, um, it's fun. It's comic books. Uh, I, I think, you know, you know, we can, uh, we can debate, you know, the, the nuances and the ups and downs, but this, I did have a smile on my face when I read this and it did harken back to the crisis of old, especially with seeing the death of the Trinity there. It reminded me of the death of Barry Allen and that put a smile on my face. Uh, I, uh, full disclosure, I, I didn't actually care when, uh, the first time I ever cried reading a comic book was the death of Supergirl in Original Crisis. I did not care that Barry Allen died because at the time I thought it was a very boring comic. And I very much welcomed uh, uh, Wally West uh, following uh, following that. But uh, uh, Barry Allen was the one death in comics that worked. Uh, the mistake they made was bringing him back. That's my unpopular opinion for the day. And uh, uh, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we want to thank everybody for joining us as always. Don't forget to head over to YouTube, do a search for comic space, boom, exclamation point. That's Rocky's channel. If you're a regular listener to uh, the comic source, I'm sure you've heard him before, but definitely go over there, subscribe to his channel, ring the notification bell. So you know when new content comes out and be sure and like this video and comment below, uh, on your thoughts on, on death of the justice league. Conversely, if you're a big fan, uh, already subscribed to Rocky, always check out, uh, out our episodes and collaborations on YouTube. Please go over to your favorite podcasting app or platform and do a search for the comic source and subscribe. So you don't miss out on any of the audio only content that I put out on pretty much a daily basis. So, uh, we hope you guys uh, enjoyed this. Hope you had a chance to check out our DC spotlight for last week. We'll have another DC spotlight coming up this Tuesday. DC is doing a lot of things, right? Currently, uh, as much as, you know, we might have little nitpicks here or there. Uh, the only reason that we have the nitpicks is because we do care. So uh, with that being said, you got anything coming up, Rocky, that you want to tease? Uh, well, I did do a just recently did a video on stuff I picked up at the Calgary Expo. I was at the Calgary Expo last week. That's why I missed doing the reviews with you with for the majority of D.C. last week for the week of April 26th. Uh, but I had a great time and I just showed off some of the stuff that I bought. Uh, so it was just a, just a fun video, uh, that I put together and, and yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back in the groove and, uh, we'll be reviewing trial of the Amazons after this and people can watch that as well. And yeah, so beyond that, I, I intend on barbecuing and uh, enjoying a nice, uh, a nice steak later with, uh, maybe a little bit of crown vanilla and on ice and enjoying the weekend. <laughs> uh, fantastic. I uh, wish I could say the same. I'm traveling a ton for the day job, everybody. So apologies if some episodes are uh, are late, but definitely check out Rocky's channel. Uh, check out our DC spotlight that's coming up. And yeah, here are uh, our other episode that'll drop uh, over the weekend will be the, the conclusion for trial of the Amazons, which uh, yeah, mixed feelings about that one as well. So again, thanks for taking the time, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. 
All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.